Hi, everybody. Talking Book is a mission-driven audiobook publisher of independent literature. We make audiobooks. We uh, put writers in our booth, and we record them reading their books. It's good for everybody. Um, we're located in the Misty Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, and you can check us out at TalkingBook.pub. That's TalkingBook.pub. We got audiobooks. We got a uh, lit mag. We got uh, this podcast. We got everything. Anything you want, we got it. But um, believe it or not, we're a nonprofit, so that does mean that people like you shilling out a buck really does help keep this train running. So if you want to do that, if you're a really, really sweet, sweet person, a big sweetheart, you can go to um, our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash talking book. And uh, yeah, throw us the change in the bottom of your car. Uh, but anyway, yeah, thanks. You're a great person. Bye. Alright folks, here we go. Episode 4, Quattro, talking to Ben Laurie. He wrote a book called Tales of Falling and Flying. We just finished his book, his book's out now. These fucking insane little short stories that are kind of fable-esque and weird and magical and, and, and just incredibly and totally unique. Um, I'm going to talk to Ben in a second. Uh, our conversation was really cool, really easy. He's an easygoing guy, funny. Um, and yeah, his, his book is, whew, I don't even know what to say. Um, you just got to listen to it. Narrated by Andy Harrington. You got you to gotta buy the book from Penguin. Um, but uh, here is my chit chat with Mr. Ben Laurie um, on the telephone while he's in Boston author of Tales of Falling and Flying. Hello? Hey, is this Ben? It is, it's Chris. Hey, buddy, how's it going? It's good, how are you? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah, you sound crystal clear. Awesome. So do you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we finally get to connect with our voices in real life, and it's not just the uh, the messaging. Yeah, it's true. You sound different than I expected. You sound very calm. Huh. Okay. That's not, awesome. Not, <laughs> not that you sound like frantic on the internet. <laughs> Every time I wrote you a message, I'm like Ben. Ha, ha. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I've obviously heard your voice before, um, you know, just from YouTube videos of you reading and stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it's weird when you you imagine somebody sounding one way and then, then you finally hear their voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But um, but yeah, so I just uh, <clears throat> I just talked to your homeboy, uh, Bud Smith, yesterday uh, about the reading and stuff that you guys were just at at uh, Greenlight, right? Oh, yeah. That was a good one. It sounded like a really good one. I think it was a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's this thing that happens, which is that I take a... It's not really a anti-anxiety pill, but I have a like, terrible stage fright. Sure. Like the first time that I, I ever did a reading, my hands shook so bad, I literally couldn't hold the paper. Like, I couldn't hold it. And somebody had to come up and hold the paper for me. And then that was useless anyway because my voice was shaking. Like I was basically hyperventilating. 
um, so anyway, after that, I went to the psychiatrist and he gave me beta blockers to take before reading. Do you know about them? You know, I've heard that phrase before and I feel like somebody I know who has, you know, maybe some kind of similar, you know, issue from time to time has brought that up. But what, what, what does that do exactly? They, um, so it doesn't have any like psychological effect. Like it doesn't feel like anything. It just keeps your, it's a blood pressure medication. So it just keeps your heart rate even. It just like keeps your fight or flight response from kicking in. <laughs> so, so like you still feel nervous if it's something that makes you nervous, but then you can get up there and like nothing happens and it's just like any other thing. And you're, and you're just like, huh. And so you do the whole thing and, and it's amazing. Like it completely changed my life. Like now I really love doing readings and I've, probably done like 200 or something but wow. uh, as a result of this they have they make like no impression on me and I never remember them afterwards like people oh interesting me like, huh. they'll say like oh that guy asked that really annoying question or whatever and I'm like what what quest what happened I don't know wait do you think um, the, do you think so the beta I, blockers are like they they somehow interfere with your ability to like differentiate between the, the separate readings or what is it? What do you think it is? I think that they just, they keep me from having like a, like an emotional reaction to what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so, and so everything just kind of glides by and I, and I don't. Wow. That's amazing. So somebody could be like, wow, Ben, did you see where that person, you know, really just shot themselves in the kneecap with a pistol? Like during your reading, you're like, you know, I didn't really realize that happened. Yeah. Like when people bring things up, I like, I can remember them. Like, oh yeah, I remember that happened. I remember them as like pictures, but I don't really remember the experience of them. That's, that's it's weird. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I, like, go ahead. I like I when when my psychiatrist gave me the prescription a long time ago. It was like six years ago or something. He was like, a lot of times what happens is people, you know, they take these for for a little while and then they get used to it and then they don't have the stage fright anymore and they stop taking them. Huh. And I was like, okay, but then I've never. Like I get to a thing and I'm always like, so should I not take this? But if I don't take it, <laughs> then it could be like catastrophic, you know? Right. Uh, so I've never done it without one. So now I like take, I take, I like split the pill in half and take like half a pill or sometimes I take like a quarter of a pill. And usually it doesn't seem to matter, but every now and then I've done a reading where I take like a smaller amount and then my... <laughs> When they call my name and I have to walk up onto the stage, I find that my knees are shaking so bad I can hardly walk. So I haven't gotten to the point where I'm not going to take them. That's so, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. No, about no, it. not at all. No, not at all. That's like a super interesting topic to me because it, it's it's weird. Like that sensation is so strange. Where uh, and you, you just described it, but. Someone, you're like, okay, I'm prepared to talk in front of these people. I've been planning on it for days. Now I'm going to do it. And then they call your name and suddenly your body's like, oh my God, no, anything yeah. but oh this. It doesn't make any sense. Run, run. <laughs> yeah. Pretend you're dead. Just lie there. Yeah. The thing that's even weirder is that I, I teach now and I don't need a pill to teach. 
uh, and even though like as a teacher, I always feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I'm not pretty. I feel good about my writing, reading stories in front of people. Like I don't worry that I'm gonna fail or something, or they're all gonna throw rocks at me. As a teacher, I feel much more nervous, but I don't have any. I don't need any pills. I don't get nervous. My hands don't shake. My knees don't shake. Like I'm totally fine. Right. Yeah. And. Yeah. So anyway, it's an it's an ongoing mystery. It's pretty it's pretty fascinating. I feel like I, I have uh, if I'm going to speak in front of people or, or do a reading myself or or, or anything uh, in front of a lot of people I don't know, I feel like mine starts out exactly how you described, where I'm like palms are sweaty, voice is cracking a little bit, uh, probably r- like mumbling or ranting. But then after about four to five minutes and I find the groove, it's as if I was never nervous at all. And so you, you, with you, would you say that it doesn't, it doesn't ever naturally like write itself. It stays nervous if you didn't take that beta blocker. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, who knows? Maybe I, I don't, yeah. You know, what'd be really fascinating. You know, would like, be really fascinating is if, if one of your friends, like let's say old Bud Smith, he like had the beta blockers and he switched them out for sugar pills and you took them and you were fine. You know, there's, there's a chance of that, that that's possible. It is possible. Uh. It is possible. And it would be bud to do it. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, but I've been kind of going back and forth with you for, uh, for a while now, I guess months, maybe like longer than months, but, uh, just about, you know, making uh, Tales of Falling and Flying into an audio book and, and, the, and the casting and, and that, that, whole, that whole thing with, uh, mm-hmm. with all the actors and stuff. It's, yeah, it's funny. I've heard uh, many a story about you even before that uh, from, I should just call this uh, podcast People I Know Due to Bud Smith because I feel like every episode <laughs> I, I do this. But it's funny because the, the whole reason that um, I, you know, approached Penguin um, besides just liking your writing is that I had been in New York and Bud was like talking about you saying how awesome you were. And I was like, Oh, that guy sounds awesome. Like maybe the audio book is <laughs> really the whole, the whole goddamn show is really just cause of that. It's funny. How did, how did you meet Bud? Well, it's, it's a funny story, uh, similar. Um, so, you know, me and my, um, my good buddy, Dave, uh, um, who is the sound engineer for all all this stuff? Who who makes all the books with me? Um, we uh, we were working for another guy for an audiobook production company that like made audiobooks for people um, you know who wanted them, and we we yeah. thought it we thought it'd be cool eventually to um, you know start making books uh, from like indie lit presses, the kind of books that you know we we read generally that there weren't really audiobooks for that. Um, um, and so, you know, we, I was like posting about it on Twitter and I had a couple of writer friends. I don't know. I don't remember why, but, but, uh, on, we connected on Twitter and I was like, you know, I'd love to do, uh, your new book F250. And that was like, technically the first talking book was Bud Smith's F250. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's how. That's a good way to start. Yeah. It was a great way to start. I mean, he introduced us to a bunch of people and, uh, you know, I, I ended up visiting him a couple of times and hanging out and then, uh. Yeah, and then he mentioned you, and now you and I are talking. We're friends forever, talking about beta blockers. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it goes. Where are you in North Carolina? Yeah, we're in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains in Western North Carolina. Have you ever been around here? No. <laughs> I mean, uh, when I so when I was little, my dad was like obsessed with the Civil War. 
Uh-huh. So anytime we had a family vacation, we never got to go to like Disneyland or anything or Hershey Park, which was where all my friends went. We always had to get in the car and then drive down south and go to Civil War battlefield. That makes sense. So, it's possible I've been in North Carolina if there were any good battles. There. Yeah, there definitely were. There were some good ones in the mountains here. Um, I'm really bad at remembering stuff that has to do with history. Uh, but I know for a fact that there's been things talked about many a times around me that there are things here. So you probably passed through <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Where, wait, where, where are you uh, located now? Are you? Uh, I know you live in L.A., right? I live in L.A., yeah, in Echo Park, which is like near downtown. Um, at the moment, I'm in Boston. Oh, I'm cool. sitting on the steps of Widener Library in Harvard right now. So you're just like dead smack in the middle of the book tour, huh? Um, I'm sort of near the end. I oh, mean, yeah? I have one more event here tonight, and then I go to Michigan tomorrow to this thing called the Harbor Springs Festival of the Book. Not the book festival, but the festival of the book. And then I go back to L.A., and then after that, like I start teaching again on Tuesday. So then I have like weekend events after that. But this is like the end of the traveling around portion. Right. Is it? Is which it? Is, which is good because every morning I wake up and I'm looking around like, where am I? <laughs> what is this place? Yeah. What's the percentage of uh, if you were to, you know, when you're you're in the middle of this period of uh, of constant travel and readings and tours and visiting and stuff with, uh, you know, friends. Is it 50-50, uh, this is exhausting and this is awesome, or is it more awesome than exhausting, or how, how does that work? It's not really very exhausting. It's only, it's like confusing in the mornings. That's pretty much it. Like, Or in the middle of the night, sometimes I wake up and I have no idea where I am. <laughs> um, but in, like I, I sort of plan this whole bookstore, book tour myself, so it's like really poorly planned. <laughs> Like it's like a pretty much an event every night. So I pretty much just like travel to the next place every morning and then I get there and then I like walk around and I go to like every bookstore in this city that I'm in and sign my book and make sure they put those little stickers on it. I don't know why I'm just fixated on that. And what are, what are the stickers? Stickers say like signed by the author. Ah, and gotcha. They, and then they stick them out front hopefully on a table somewhere so people are more likely to buy them. Apparently people buy them if they have a sticker that says they're signed by the person. Huh. Yeah, I guess also that makes nice sense. Yeah, and you like meet the people who actually work in the bookstores and maybe actually will sell your book to people if they know who you are. Maybe they're more likely to read it if you come in. So I don't know. Somebody told me I should always do this. So I just do that religiously everywhere I go. And then when I'm done with that... It's usually time for dinner, and then then there's like the event thing. Um, so it's like I'm really busy during the day, but it's just like walking around, going to bookstores, and figuring out the public transportation system. It's not like I'm partying all the time, right? Um, and then usually after the event, like we go out somewhere and sit around and have like a a beer. Sure. So, but you're not uh, you're not getting think, plastered, so you're you're uh, you're just exhausted the next morning. You you're you're take you're pacing yourself, and so you're having you're just yeah. relaxing. Yeah, yeah. So it's really not that bad. Everyone's like, "Are how aren't you dying?" But no, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I just wish it was longer. You know, like 
uh, it's like being allowed out of the house for the first time in like six years. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I know that it varies, you know, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the kind of author or the kind of publisher, uh, you know, in, in, in a case like this, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you can, we, we, you can say about that, but, uh, you know, is it something that the, you know, your publisher is paying for, or is it the, you know, an, a, or a school is paying for, or you're just kind of doing out of your own pocket traveling around? How does that work usually, or for this book specifically? Um, they actually are, they actually are paying, but that was very strange. Uh, they, they, I mean, bookstores don't really exist anymore unless right. you're like, you know, Stephen King or something. Um, but I was just like, no, fuck it, I'm just doing it. So I organized the whole tour, and then once it was done, then they were like, oh, hey, we'll actually uh, pay for this. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they just paid for transportation, which was great because I'm just like sleeping on people's couches. Sure. So it's not, not really... I would be eating anyway. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, true. true. um, So yeah, it wasn't like uh, a lavish lavish tour. It's pretty much like buses and trains and uh, the Harbor Springs Festival of the book. People paid for my plane tickets there and back home. Um, So really it was just like one plane from Seattle to D.C. and everything else was pretty cheap. Man. Um, Yeah. If I'd known beforehand that they were going to pay, I would have, <laughs> I would have planned it differently. You're like, but, I'm going uh, to Tokyo, I'm going to Hong Kong, I'm going yeah. to Brussels. Yes, I'm staying in this lobster restaurant. <laughs> Man, I wish, uh, uh, I wish I could have convinced you somehow to. Uh, it's probably my fault. But I get like a, a turn down to the southeast, so you could you could hit Asheville and maybe do a reading at Malaprops, which is our. Uh, Asheville, the city of Asheville's main kind of bookstore, literary culture hub where a lot of writers come through and do readings. Yeah, I would have liked to have done that and also go to Atlanta. I yeah. Good yeah, Atlanta's Not cool Atlanta. too. Yeah, definitely. Then uh, maybe Nashville would be a good one as well to hit on that same yeah. chain. Yeah, I have a lot of friends in Nashville. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, I was, when I was planning it, this is the other thing is that you kind of have to plan these things really far in advance. Because there aren't that many bookstores left, right? They they book up ahead of time, so you really need to plan them like six months ahead of time. So I was already kind of late getting things going. Um, yeah, there are a lot of places I wish I could have gone to. And I'm not going anywhere in the middle of the country except for Denver uh, next month. I'm just doing like a short trip out to Denver to go to the Tattered Cover, but I'm not going to Chicago, which I would love to go to. Want to go to Minneapolis and Austin? I mean, I want to go everywhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but not not this time, I guess. So it sounds like the response. I mean, just from like watching videos and like talking to people at Penguin and uh, and you know, you know, Bud and stuff like that. And my actually my friend Claire as well, who she uh, wanted me to give you a shout out. Um, who you know saw you read the other night, but it just seems like uh, the uh, the response to this book has just been badass. Is it? Uh, has it been, you know, kind of, it's probably a dumb question, but kind of what you expected or is it, you know, been surprising or, you know, what's that been like? Uh, there have been some really big surprises. They, I mean, the LA Times did like, uh, I was on the front page of the art section. They did like a profile story on me, not like a review, but like a story about me and my life. <laughs> I was like, really? Okay. Awesome. You know, and there's like, big pictures of me and like everybody in the city read it 
It was very strange. Crazy. Uh, so, so that was amazing. And then I got a great review on NPR, which I didn't see coming, you know? And I saw it, that. It was a, yeah. It's amazing. It great. Um, so I didn't expect those. So th- those were fantastic. Uh, I always love doing readings and I always feel like my, I don't feel like this. I know this. <laughs> my stories are like built for reading out loud. Right. Like that's how I write them. You know, I just sit in my house and read them out loud over and over and over. I was going to ask They're you that major. actually about reading, uh, the, if you did that in the writing process, read these out loud. Cause that was, that was like a hunch that I had. It may, it just makes sense based on the stories. Yeah. I just kind of decided early on that I was, the way I was going to write stories was just to write them the way I would tell them. Mm-hmm. I was there talking to people. So yeah, they're just like built for that. And, so I love doing readings because it's like the only time that that actually they get to sort of live the way they're sort of meant to be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which so I'll... I usually get a good response at the reading. So, but still, it's nice when it happens. Yeah, that's that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, when we were in the studio recording the book uh, with the actor Andy Harrington, like you know, one of the original reasons we really wanted to make this was that that exact same idea was these are, you know, tailor made for, uh, you know, being read aloud, being told, hearing the story, you know, because I've, I've read the book and I've listened to the stories as well. And there's just, there's a quality specifically with these stories, I think, that's just, uh, you know, without sounding, you know, over the top, like a little more magical when you hear them out loud, I think, you know? Yeah, I think it adds something. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of the, uh, the audio stuff, what did you, I just wanted to ask you because I thought it was like a really funny, um, you know, hopefully none of the people that we didn't go with are listening to this. There's probably only three people listening to this, but, uh, but I was just going to say, I kind of wanted to just talk shit for a second and, and be, and ask you like what you thought about those initial, we had like so many people audition for this, uh, for this book, uh, uh, which is obviously an awesome sign. Um, but there was a couple of, uh, yeah. you know, fun ones, uh, some colorful ones. Yeah. And I just, I wish I could have, when I, when I, when you listened to those first ones, um, saw your reaction or been able to talk to you, not just through the messenger. Cause we thought some of them were crazy too. Uh, in a, in yeah. a, not to criticize those actors that, that, that audition cause they, you know, that everybody has their own interpretation, but what did, what did you think about some of those initial wild ones? I mean, it's it's sort of what I expected, you know. I've I've seen I've seen people perform my stories before, like a lot. Um, there, uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank now on where this has happened. Oh, they do them at like word theater. Um, they hire like famous actors to read their stories or on selected shorts. They do that. Um, like Reeve Schreiber did, he did a great job. But I, so I've seen people read my stories many times, right? And um, a lot of the time, what happens with, when people are like asked to read stories in front of people is they just, you know, they want to make them more dramatic. Is mainly what happens. So like nobody wants to just sit there and have somebody like drone on reading the story. So they really try to bring it to life and play everything up and they like do the voices and they inject a lot of energy into it. And the stories are sort of written to be like deadpan, you know? Right. Um, so it's sort of like exactly the opposite of what they need. 
Uh, <laughs> right. So it, it's, it, it can be a painful experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. But that's... I don't, you know, I can't really blame them because that's their job. You know, they're, sure. They're doing what they're, what they, what they think they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's funny yeah. because a lot of the uh, the um, you know, and I'm just gonna keep on putting up disclaimers. God, bl- God bless everybody. Uh, not criticizing anybody. I love all people. Um, I, but I was gonna say some of the like more well known, bigger actors that we were getting in those initial auditions that they were taking things too far, and it it, it took us forever to find. Uh, and I, I love dorking out about this kind of stuff, obviously. But uh, it took us forever to find somebody who could pull off a deadpan. Like for some reason, yeah. that was the hardest thing to find, you know, that deadpan yeah. delivery. Yeah. Oh, you did it though. It's good. You do. You do like you. You can. Uh, you can tear it apart if you want. You did. You like it? I did like it. I didn't listen to all of it. Cool. Um, but I. But I. But I did like what I listened to. Okay. Good. Thank God. I was quite relieved. <laughs> um, I, I would love, I would love, to, you know, just because we're a smaller uh, little audio publisher, that's a badass new slogan for us. It, sh- it could be talking book. You'll be quite relieved or something like that. <laughs> that's good. Yes. I like it. Not too bad. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, going back to you reading stories out loud and stuff like that, and, and these stories being so tailor made to, you know, yeah, you know, be read aloud and whatnot. I just, I want to ask you, it's probably kind of old hat at, uh, to ask this kind of question, but you know, what is, uh, you know, do you have any kind of process besides reading them aloud that, that makes you, that gets you into this kind of vibe of these, as some people call them like fable esque stories that, that you've been writing, um, in recent years, is there anything else that, you know, is it, long periods of writing is it wake up at the crack of dawn is it like listen to uh like techno really loud on acid um and then start writing or how how do you how do you get into that you know i used to have a lot of things that i i mean i so i can't really write with music at all or or any kind of talking like i can't go into a coffee shop or anywhere where there's people that's pretty much just in my house i can't listen to any kind of music that has words or any kind of melody, because I just immediately lock into that. Uh, there's only ever been one piece of music that I can listen to, and it, so that's just on repeat, or used to be, for years and years, um, which was this, do you know Arvo Part? He's like a minimalist composer. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Um, and some of his stuff is like choral, um, but I don't like that stuff. But this is just a piano album called Alina, um, has like a pale blue cover and it's just, I don't even know, it's sort of a little plinking <laughs> piano noodling. Right, noodling. I'm sure it's, it's more than that, but, um, and so I just listen to that on repeat for like hours and hours and hours as I write. And then after a while, I would just put that CD on and it would start. And I'd be like, oh, writing time. And I would just go right into it. Um, at some somewhere along the way, I just stopped. I don't know why. I just stopped listening to it, and I don't. I don't do that anymore. I don't listen to any music at all anymore. Um, things have really changed writing-wise. I used to be a night person, like really a night person. Like I would wake up at like five, six p.m. and stay up all night writing, and go to sleep at like ten, eleven, noon, whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, and I would just write obsessively, like nonstop all night long. And I would like, 
stop and eat some Skittles or whatever and drink some tea and just go back to writing. And I would just write. Like I was either on or off. Like I was either, this is, I'm just writing for months, nonstop, doing nothing else, not leaving the house, not seeing anybody. Um, and then over time, that kind of changed. As my life changed, you know, I, and so now I pretty much write in a really boring, semi-professional manner where I live during the daytime and I try to write in, sorry, there's a little guy in a little car driving by. Yeah, no worries. I don't know what he's doing. It's the beautiful sounds anyway. of Boston. Yeah. All right. Um... I did, so what I do now is I work in like three little bursts every day. I set a timer for 25 minutes. Pomodoro? Um, yeah, Pomodoro thing. Yeah. I, I don't do like the, like the official Pomodoro or whatever. is like 10, I think, of those you're supposed to do a day. But I just do three. And so I set the timer and I sit down and, you know, I don't do anything else. I don't look at the internet or go to the bathroom or whatever. Like, so I just write steady for 25 minutes, like furiously as hard as I can. And then when the timer goes off, if it's going well and I feel like continuing, then I keep going until I get bored. And if the timer goes off and I'm, it's not going well, then I just, you know, walk away. And then I sort of go about my day and run errands or whatever. And then I do two more of those throughout the day. So at minimum, I'm like, working like an hour and 15 minutes every day, which doesn't sound like much, but... It adds up though, right? It, it adds up, and if you do it in short bursts, you're working really hard while you're on, and then your mind is free to like think through things and solve problems while you're not sitting at the computer. So as, whereas before, when I was working so hard for such a long period of time, a lot of it was just sitting there like staring at the screen, like blinking cursor, thinking, thinking, and now I don't... I don't really do the thinking at the computer anymore. Like if I'm at the computer, I'm writing. And if I'm not at the computer, I'm sort of daydreaming about the stories while I'm doing other things. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, uh, that sounds ideal. The, 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 just the, even the small detail of removing that, uh, that, uh, painful stare at the screen, uh, you know, thing, yeah. right. <laughs> that, that, that's, yeah. That's funny. Yeah the, yeah. the only reason I knew what that Pomodoro thing was, uh, this is probably not interesting, but the, the, there, was, the there was some, there was some book, uh, the Pomodoro technique illustrated that came out like years ago. And I, I worked, uh, for the company that, uh, produced that audio book and I, I never even listened to it, but I just, uh, like remember reading the back or the front of it and being like, Oh, the uh -huh. Pomodoro technique. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I never read anything about it. I never heard of it. And I was at like a, a wine bar, my girlfriend, and we were, she was like meeting some of her friends. I don't even know who they were. And it was like the loudest place in the world. Oh, now there's some kind of lawn blower, leaf blower thing. Um, it was like the loudest place in the world. I couldn't hear anything anyone said. I couldn't like speak loud enough to be heard. It was just like incredibly loud, awful place. But in the middle of it, one of her friends started sort of yelling at me about the Pomodoro technique. <laughs> I don't know why, but like I just heard these words like Pomodoro technique and timer and productivity. It was just like a couple things here and there. And I was like, huh, huh. And then after that, on the walk home, I 
looked it up on the internet and just started doing it the next day. I don't know why, just like for the hell of it, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. Usually, like, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I sometimes would have like an aversion for no reason, like a childish aversion to anything that sounds like gimmicky and self-helpy. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, after yeah, anything I, that sounds like it. It was designed for something. Right, designed for something yeah. for like some tech person in Silicon Valley to like yeah. accomplish something faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's pretty good though. I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna try that. Uh it sounds it sounds like a hell of a time. It it always just reminded me of spaghetti, uh when I heard the phrase, but I'm probably Yeah, not... I think it means to, it means tomato, I right. think Pomodoro. Which I don't know why that's called I don't understand <laughs> the branding. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the tomato but, technique, huh? Yeah. Who can say? Who can really say anything, Ben? Who can say? I don't know. <laughs> um, so what do you what do you uh, what are you doing? Uh, you know, obviously that I'm, I'm sure there's there's a million things, but what do you you know you're going to be finishing promoting and going through you know tales of falling and flying, and uh, you're going to go. Where do you teach, by the way? You mentioned you're a teacher as well. I teach at UCLA in the extension school. Oh, badass. Um, yeah, and then sometimes I have like a writing workshop at my house, but that's not like a set thing. Oh, cool. Just every now and then. What, yeah. so, what, so like, uh, like a small group of uh, chosen ones all come to bins yeah. and you guys have tomatoes everywhere and there's, you know, talking about yep. the Pomodoro technique and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I sell copies of the Pomodoro Technique <laughs> book that you work on. That'd be amazing. You like you actually like work for the company uh, who sells that audio, and you're like, come to my workshop, and they're like, I don't know, I feel like I just bought seven copies of the Pomodoro Technique. I don't know if we really worked on that much. That's amazing. Yeah, people, but uh, go ahead. People, people would probably buy it. <laughs> yeah, they would. They'd buy anything. Come on. Come to think of it, I I probably talk about that thing in every class because somebody always asks, like, "What's your schedule?" And then I rave about the Pomodoro technique for a while. <laughs> I want some royalties on this yeah, book now. I was gonna say, like, you could easily be a sponsor and like have that that <laughs> that, that patch on your sleeve during the readings and stuff, and like kind of like a a, pro, a prize fighter wins his fight and then puts the hat on afterwards and like flexes his muscles. You could do that at the end of the reading. Yeah, why not? All right, that was it. That was my chat with Ben Laurie, who wrote Tales of Falling and Flying, which is out now from Penguin Random House. Um, and uh, yeah, he's going to be hanging out. I know it. I know he'll come back around. Um, I pretty much forced him to promise that he would hang out with us eventually. But uh, he's a cool dude. Um, yeah, I hope I hang with that dude. Anyway, uh, yeah, here is a clip of his book, Tales of Falling and Flying, narrated by Andy Harrington. Uh, we just released this. The recording sounds pretty cool, I think. Uh, so sit back and enjoy this short story by Ben Laurie. The Dodo Once there was a dodo, and he died with the rest. But then he suddenly got back up again. And he started running around, saying, Hey, look at me. Everybody, I'm a dodo. And I'm alive. Of course, no one believed him, because the dodos were all dead. The dodos are all dead, they said. You, bird, must be a chicken. So act like a chicken, they said. 
The dodo was confused. He didn't know what to do. For a while, he kept on insisting. But I'm a dodo, he said. I'm a dodo. I am. But the people just laughed, and then ignored him. So finally, the dodo gave it up. Maybe I'll just pretend to be a chicken, he said. Just for a while, on a temporary basis, just to see how it goes. So the dodo did some research into the whole chicken phenomenon, and then he started to practice. He got pretty good at going buck, 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 and bobbing his head back and forth. It wasn't a very interesting existence, being a chicken, but it was better than being laughed at and scorned. And in time, the dodo was very good at it. He even won a few awards. But then, one day, the dodo walked by a museum and he saw a big banner out front. The banner said, A Celebration of Dodos. So the dodo walked in and strolled around. The dodo learned all about the history of dodos, where they were from, and what they ate, and all that. It was nothing that the dodo hadn't always known before, but it seemed somehow he'd forgotten it. Near the end of the exhibit, the dodo came to a diorama. There were replicas of his ancestors behind glass. And below, it explained that the dodos were all dead. And the dodo became very sad. But I'm a dodo, the dodo said. And I'm here. I'm alive. Why don't these people understand that? Then the dodo caught sight of his own reflection in the glass. And what he saw was a chicken staring back. Oh my God, said the dodo, looking down at himself. He saw his chicken wings, his chicken feet. How did this happen? The dodo said. I'm a dodo. This isn't true. This isn't me. So the dodo went home and did some soul-searching, and he decided that things had to change. So he stopped bobbing his head around and saying, Buck, 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 buck. He walked around like he was a dodo again. He didn't care that he looked like a chicken. He knew what he was inside. And what's more, he wasn't shy about talking about it. I'm a dodo, he screamed at everyone. You understand? Of course, people laughed, just like they had before. But this time, the dodo didn't care. I'm a dodo! I'm a dodo! I'm a dodo! He screamed. And he pecked at people's knees when they ignored him. In no time at all, the news got around. There's a crazy chicken out there attacking people, people said. So they got up a committee. Well, a posse, really. We'll go teach that chicken a lesson, they said. The dodo saw them coming from a mile away. But he didn't run. He didn't hide. I'm a dodo, he yelled. I am not a chicken. Oh, yeah, the posse said, and drew their knives. The dodo looked at them, and then finally he smiled. All right, he said, and went forth to fight. And the posse came at him, but the dodo didn't take flight, and his true feathers shone brightly in the light. All right, that was it, guys. What do you think? Sound good, huh? Yeah, I think it sounds great. Um, you can buy this book in audio and in print on the internet. Go to talkingbook.pub and you can find Tales of Falling and Flying and a bunch more audio books we've recorded. Um, books like The Sarah Book by Scott McClanahan, No Joy by David Rose, 
Literally Show Me a Healthy Person by Darcy Wilder, um, Something to Do with Self-Hate by Brian Allen Ellis. The list goes on and on and on. Best books you ever seen, recorded. Um, but anyway, thanks so much to uh, Ben Laurie for talking to me, uh, Penguin for making that happen, that whole book. Um, badass original music from Holler Boys, uh, Chris Oxley and Scott McClanahan, and then our theme music by Alex Sturgis that was originally written for the book Sophia by Michael Bible from Melville House. And um, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, Dave Burr. Dave Burr, the sound engineer who makes all this sound good. Good looking guy, handsome chap friendly fellow, neighborhood, uh, nice guy. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's the, that's the gang. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's, that's, uh, that's the show. That's episode four. We'll talk to somebody else soon. I'll, I'll call somebody else soon and we'll talk to them or maybe we'll get, uh, some knuckleheads into this studio and we'll, we'll shoot the shit. Um, but, uh, anyway, okay. I like you guys and, uh, thanks so much for listening. Later. Oh yeah, I forgot. Um, I really I forgot one of the most important people of the gang. Uh, I should say her name is Danny Harris. Um, she is uh, the woman who designs all the book covers and uh, the logo and uh, all the images that you see that make Talking Book cool. Um, but yeah, she uh, she's also the mother of my children, and I love her very much. So I just wanted to say that, Danny, if you're listening to the podcast. Love ya. I love you very much. Talking book. This time for real bye. You know, I realize now, uh, I just said that she's the mother of my children, but technically that's not true. She's the mother of my child, um, and she's pregnant with our second child. Um, so I don't know if I can say children yet until the second one is born, uh, which will happen soon. But uh, that doesn't really matter. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye forever. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit before I knew that you were there Like an angel who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit Door was passing over.